0: Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is good to see you guys tonight. Thank you, I appreciate it. Got a couple people ready to have a conversation. Welcome to everybody watching online. Uh, If if you're concerned, we've been trying to get our live stream fixed. I know there are some people saying that the broadcast hasn't been going through. It's coming through, it's on its way. But (laughs) praise God that y'all are in the room. Come on, sometimes. You got to be present. But nah. shout out. I know there are people watching us from other states and other places who aren't able to be here. And so we want to make sure that we are still able to keep you connected. Hey, how have you guys been doing since our Bible study last week? Pretty good. Has anybody found any growth, any progress, any help in their study time? I got one hand. Okay. No, no, for real. Just, just give me, Don't and don't fake it. Don't fake it, because some of y'all, you didn't read the Bible all week. It's okay. You don't have to fake it, but just just lift your hand up ever so slightly if you felt or saw any progress in your time with God after our study last week. Praise the Lord. That's the most important thing that can happen for you. And so, as I mentioned before, this is the direction that we're trying to go is just con- to continue to equip you more and more and more. And one of the things that I have, I've heard it, Uh, articulated really well. Whenever you are walking with God, and especially doing ministry and, and leading in the church, it's important that you are more of a sailboat than a motorboat. And here's what that means. A motorboat, you just cut the engine on, you hit the gas, and you drive. A sailboat, you have to put your sail up, and you have to be carried by the wind. And in the same way, that's how our lives with, with God are. And, and when you are sailing, it actually, uh, it, it takes a lot of skill and familiarity to navigate your part and the wind's part. And I found that oftentimes our relationship with God is that way, that, that it takes some getting used to to figure out, okay, God, what, which part of my life are you just driving and, and what is my part? What is my role? Has anybody ever run into that confusion where when you're walking with God, it can feel like you're supposed to be driving sometimes and then sometimes you're like, okay, maybe I'm just supposed to be taking my hands off. Am I the only one? And i found that when you are walking with God, it's, it's a lot like sailing. You have to catch the wind. And for us, that is... Walking in step with the Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us that we are to do, to not walk by the flesh, which would be to be completely controlled by our own mind, our own thoughts, our own desires, and live our lives steered by those things. Instead, we are not to be controlled by the Spirit, but we're to, we're to walk in step with the Spirit. The picture of walking in step is you're walking next to somebody, and you're just trying to... It's like God is leading, but you're also walking. And so... You don't wanna just be over here and expecting God to catch up with you, right? But you also don't wanna just be like watching God walk. You want to like, oh, you're, you're stepping, we're stepping, we're moving. And many times that takes some practice, some time. And I found that it takes frequency and consistency in encountering God to be able to walk in step with him. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because you will see that sometimes we change up even just how we do things here, right? What what the experience is like. And you'll, you'll notice different changes. You'll notice even from a preaching standpoint, I can't just hit the gas and drive. And in this season, I've been feeling like the wind is more so around this idea of leaving more space for God to speak to you rather than just me coming with one particular tailored message uh, from God to you. Because there's nothing wrong with that. There's times, there's seasons. But I believe that many of us, we've gotten into the routine of feeling like we can outsource things that we are supposed to be immersed in. And it, it cannot be that there is one person who is seeking God on behalf of everybody else and everybody else just waits for that one person. That's more reflective of what we see in the Old Testament. That there was a time where things were like that, where the nation of Israel, uh, they had a leader or they would have a prophet at the time and God was only really speaking to one person. And then that one person was relaying the message to everybody else but now we're in a different time. Now we are in a time where you have the gift through faith in Christ of receiving the Holy Spirit and he will speak to you. This is why we're doing things like the soap time beforehand which you may not understand uh, immediately or you may not even be comfortable with when you start out but if you will engage in the process, you will start seeing how God moves when we do things his way. So when you engage in the word of God and you especially engage in the word of God with other people, that is a very godly event because God cares about us coming into agreement. He cares about the connectedness and the community of his church. He doesn't just want a bunch of individuals who are all doing life with him separately. He actually wants his people doing life with him with each other. And so if you will walk in step with God, you will start seeing how he's moving in your life. You will start getting some of the answers to the questions that you're asking. And sometimes we're asking questions that we would actually have more clarity on if we were, a little, if we were catching a little bit more of the wind. But sometimes we're just driving our motorboat we got gas in our engine, and we don't need the wind at all, and we are just powering through the sea of life, and then we're, we're wanting to hear from God, but we got this loud engine. We're controlling the speed. We're controlling the direction, and I would say that what God wants you to do in this season is to switch gears, open up your sail, and allow the wind of the Spirit of God to start blowing a little bit more in your life. And that looks like opening up some space to engage with God, to pray, to read his word, and to prioritize that. Yesterday, I was in a meeting here at the church, and uh, we've, we've been having the, the pleasure of hosting uh one particular minister a couple times a year he's been coming to some of our staff meetings he is a prophet and he is actually from guatemala he doesn't even speak english one of our pastors translates for him but i mean the man knows the lord and and he's been we we had him one time uh, our executive pastor todd he invited him into one of our meetings and the man was just, he didn't even know us. And he was just hearing directly from God about so many different things we had going on. And so now whenever he's in town, he's often in town uh, preaching at our Spanish service, Victory Vita. And uh, whenever he's in town, we try to have him come through the meeting. And so yesterday, I walk into the meeting and he's there and I'm enjoying, we had some prayer time, some worship time beforehand, before he goes up to share. And as soon as he walks up to share, I knock an entire cup of coffee onto my lap and that's actually never happened to me before I don't know if it's happened to you but I mean this wasn't like sometimes I'm drinking coffee and you know it spills a little bit a couple drops on my pants or my shoes this time I had a fresh cup of coffee that I was looking forward to enjoying I was looking forward to the little caffeine boost Some little hints and and notes and flavors. And it was full. It wasn't like half a cup. It wasn't three quarters. It was a full cup of coffee. And I don't even know how it happened. All I know is that in about two seconds, he's walking up to speak, and then there's coffee all over my pants, all over my shoes, all over the floor around me. An entire cup of coffee. So, naturally, I'm asking the question, what should I do in this moment? Um, he's going up here to speak. There, I have a couple different options. I can l- get up and find something to clean up with, but this wasn't like a run to the bathroom and grab some paper towels mess. This was like a we need real towels <laughs> mess. And so I'm thinking in my head, I know that, you know, we do baptisms all the time. And anybody who's got baptized here, you know, we have towels. So now I'm like, okay, where are the baptism towels? And I think I need to get up and literally go get towels. And this is so distracting. And, and he's literally about to share, do I listen? Or do I address this mess? Because I'm also like, I wonder if everybody just now smells all this coffee. And if it's bothering people or even what the people behind me are thinking like, wow, he he should probably get up and do something. (laughs) There's coffee everywhere. This is a real life event. And I'm having to think in real time, what do I do? And ultimately I, I felt like, okay, this man's about to share. I know that he's coming to share what he believes God has shared with him for our church for us, and I don't wanna miss how God might speak, because I, I knew, I knew what would happen. I knew that in my mind, I thought I knew where the baptism towels were, and I just knew. I would get up, I would walk there, I would go all the way into that room, and they would just would not be there for whatever reason, and then I'd be there stuck, trying to figure out where to go next, and then I'll probably miss the whole message. So I just decided to sit there, soaked smelling coffee smelling like coffee I mean my shoes are just every time I move it was a mess and it was very uncomfortable but I felt like in that time I was making a decision about priorities and I felt like in that time God started just downloading to me a little bit about how life works And how you don't always get to choose the mess you're in, but you do get to choose the decisions you make about the mess that you're in. And you don't always get to clean everything up before you get to where you want to be. And my perfect ideal circumstance would have been I was able to clean everything up and get everything perfect and then hear God speak. But God was not about to change his schedule because I spilled coffee. And so... I'm, I'm saying this because last week we did Q&A, and there were 100-something questions that came through, and I'm gonna address some more of them tonight. But one of the things that that I was wrestling with was, man, there's questions about all kinds of stuff, and I know that you guys are going through all different types of stuff. You guys got relationship issues, come on, somebody. You got <laughs> questions about purpose and calling, questions about hearing God and spiritual disciplines, and and all these things. And I, and as I was going back and forth about what we needed to talk about tonight, I felt like it was kind of the same type of moment with God where he's like, you know what? Some of y'all are just going to have to sit in your coffee a little longer and just listen to what God wants to say. And no, he may not come and clean up your mess right in this moment, but he's going to speak what needs to be spoken. Amen. Amen. And so tonight, um, we're going to go back into the book of Hebrews, as you previewed already in in the beginning of our service. And we're gonna talk about what I believe God wants us to talk about tonight, which is just what he wrote in his word. And we're gonna go through it in a similar fashion uh, to last week, where we're going to go through kind of line by line and and pull out some insights and some things that I think uh, God wants to highlight tonight. And so I just wanna pray and then we will move forward. Lord, I just thank you for your spirit. Lord, you're here. And we thank you that we serve a living God, not a distant God, not an ancient God, not a made up God, but a living God. And your word is alive and active, Lord, and you speak to us and you move us and you change us and you transform us and you cleanse us by your word and by your spirit. And so we invite you to do that work right now in this moment We give you our attention, we give you our hearts, Lord, and we are willing to sit in some of our questions while we listen to what you want to speak. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to start tonight. Um, I, I actually wanted to end last week going into this passage, but I just knew it wasn't time yet. But I was excited to get into this passage because, uh, as I was, I've been reading in the Book of Hebrews lately, and this particular chunk of text has been really standing out to me as, as a really profound passage of Scripture. And so we're going to read it. Uh, I'm reading out of the CSB, but I encourage you open your Bibles, read along. I want you to pay attention to what is said here, what's written here. And what you'll find is as you pay attention and as you read the word, he will point things out to you and he will have things stand out to you and you'll see things that you may not have seen if you weren't paying attention. And so we're going to read. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The first place that I want to start is at the very beginning. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And this book is called Hebrews because it is so clearly, even though it doesn't start with who it's addressing, which many letters do, they start with, you know, Paul, an apostle or servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are in Philippi or wherever. Many of the letters in the New Testament start with who's writing and who they're writing to. But this just dives straight into a lot of information and and we can derive from what's being said who the author is speaking to. And if you read the entire book of Hebrews, it's very clear that he's talking to Jews, Jews who have professed faith in Christ, because he's making so many allusions to the Old Testament law, and he walks through Moses, and he walks through the tabernacle, and the tent, and the wilderness. He walks through the sacrificial system, and he walks through all these different things that people who were outside of the Jewish religion at the time wouldn't really fully understand, but it's clear that he's walking through all of these things to remind them of the importance of who Christ is and to not go back into the past, to not glamorize the law of Moses, to not glamorize the Old Testament law and to think that they made the wrong decision in following Jesus, especially because they were under trial. They were going through challenges. And it's very clear throughout the book of Hebrews that he's addressing people who are going through difficult times. And so he's writing a letter to people who know the law, who know God, but are going through difficult times and need to be reminded of some things. And so what he starts with is one of the most powerful passages of scripture in the entire Bible. And it sums up so much of the Bible in just a few sentences. And it starts off by saying, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in, many time, in different times and in various ways. And first and foremost, I think it's so important for us to pay attention to things like God was speaking. He's a God who speaks. That, that this alone separates the God we serve from so much of the nonsense, so much of the fluff, so many different religions, so many different understandings of spirituality that, that this right here sums up the, the focus of Christianity which is God speaks, God is alive. God's not a God you have to sit around and guess about, that he actually engages with humanity, and he will set the framework for how we understand our existence and how we understand how we got here, and he wants us to know him and understand who we are and who he is. God speaks. And in the past, he spoke to particular people in particular ways. And there was a time where he was just speaking through individuals, through the prophets, He was just speaking to a particular nation. He wasn't going around speaking to everybody. And this is why the Jews hold the Old Testament in their language, in their culture. They were his people. And that was a period of time. But he says something that comes after this that changes the game for all of humanity. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by His son, God, who was speaking through prophets, who was speaking in many times and in many ways, has chosen a final way to speak to all of humanity through his son. Whoa, God has a son? All of this is revelation. It's God revealing himself to you and I. And I think it's so important that we approach him with this understanding that we don't approach God knowing who he is or what he has going on or really knowing anything. We only understand about God what he chooses to share with us. And he has chosen to share his very nature with us. He has chosen to share his heart, his thoughts, his ways with us. And he doesn't have to. He could sit up in heaven and let us run rampant and have our way and do our thing and never know him. But he has chosen throughout all of human history to speak to us, to engage with us. He set a plan in motion from the very beginning to redeem us from every way that we would walk away from him, every way that we would mess up, every mistake that we would make, every breach that we could possibly make in our relationship with God. He has constantly been reaching out to us, and he made a way for us to have a consistent relationship with him. Not that we initiated, we don't chase God down, but God has chosen to approach us. And so it says in the past, he spoke through many people and in many different ways, but in these last days, he has chosen to speak to us through his son. Who is God's son? God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. That's amazing. God made the universe through his son. He's appointed him heir of all things. So he is is the one who inherits all things. So all things that have been created belong to the son. God, God the Father has appointed the son as the one who receives everything that God creates. He has appointed him chosen that his son will be the one to whom the entire creation belongs. And he made the universe through him. What does that mean? I don't know. But this is God being God. You don't understand. How could God make the universe through his son? We'll never understand that. And part of understanding who God is is understanding that very fact that you'll never fully understand who God is. That's why he's worthy of worship. If he could just write his biography and you understood everything about him, or you could write the biography of God, that wouldn't be God. But God is revealing to us, and and the writer of Hebrews is reminding people who are going through difficult things, the things that they really need to understand. That in the midst of all your circumstances, in the midst of all the stuff you have going on, in the midst of the stuff that you're sitting in and you're challenged by and you're distracted by, there's a greater reality taking place. That you're not just here for no reason or by chance or by coincidence that God has been doing a big plan for a long time and has big things in mind and you are a key small part of a very big plan that God appointed his son to be the heir of all things. And God made the universe through him. Who is the son? The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. The son who came in human flesh, put on human flesh, walked around and lived a human life was the exact expression of the nature of God that Jesus in human flesh was not just a good teacher. He was not just a person with good ideas. He was not just a prophet, as many religions will claim, but he was the son of God, the very expression of God's nature. Colossians says that he was the image of the invisible God. So the God that you cannot see, you see through Jesus. The exact expression of God's nature, the imprint of his nature is what another uh, another, um, version says, translation says, thank you. Like how a stamp makes an imprint. That's who Jesus is. He's the radiance of God's glory. How can you separate the, the beams of light from light itself? So God's glory has radiance So what radiates out of the glory of God is like what Jesus is to the Father. It's mind-blowing. But the exact expression of God's nature, this is why it's so important, the things that he taught. Because you're talking about God in human flesh, the exact impression of God's nature. And so the way that he moved, the way that he thought, the way that he spoke was all 100% God. The one through whom the universe was made stepped into creation, put on human flesh, walked among us, and gave us an exact representation of the God who created us. And then it says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is why it's so important that, that we read the whole verse. Because, it, because if we're not mistaken, we can start seeing the Son as less than the Father, and think that what's being said here is that, uh, that maybe Jesus was a human or wasn't God, and we could read, but it says that the Son, even though he is the Son of God, and he was appointed heir of all things, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So God made all things, He made all things through his son and the son is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So you cannot separate Jesus the son from God the father. They are equal. He is sustaining all things. He is not just a recipient of all things but he is the sustainer of all things. The Lord of heaven and earth, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the final authority. and sustains everything by his powerful word. Then it says this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I want to park there for just a moment. Why do you think Jesus came? It's not necessarily for you to answer out loud. I, I want you to answer that internally. Why do you think Jesus came? This is such an important question to answer because we can get caught in so many distractions. We can get caught in so many different conversations. We can get caught in so many complex arguments and, and argue all these different things about secondary issues. But this is summing up the entire plan of God as it relates to humanity that God appointed his son the one who receives all things that were created and then created the universe through his son. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact impression of his nature. He sustains all things by by his powerful word and then sums up his time on earth in a brief statement. After making purification for sins. That's how the Bible sums up Jesus coming to earth. All the discussions about the things that Jesus has taught, whether he's God, whether he's not, whether he's a prophet, whether he's not, whether he's a teacher, whether he's not. The Bible makes a clear statement as to what was being accomplished through Jesus' time on earth. That he is not just any regular human being, that he is God almighty, that he is the one through whom and the way through which God has chosen to speak to all of humanity and the final way he's chosen to speak through humanity by and through himself. And what he came to earth to do is to make purification for sins. And it says, after making purification for sins, he then sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat at the right hand of the throne of God After making purification for sins. And I think it's so important that to respond to that. Nah, Siri. (laughs) I think it's so important that we understand that. Why Jesus came. Because we can get caught in so many distractions and so many things that are pulling at our attention, and so many things that might be discouraging us, defeating us. And all the questions that we are asking God we can get caught up in. But what God wants us to remember is is to start from the foundation of, of who it is that we're talking to, of who it is that we're talking about. We are talking about the God of the universe, the God of all creation. He's chosen to speak to us. And he's chosen to speak to us in a particular way. And then he came to earth to accomplish something. And he came to purify us from sin. And if you're writing notes today, I would encourage you to at least write this part down. I would encourage you to be writing down whatever is resonating with you. But remember that Christ came to purify us from sin. Christ came to purify us from sin. Jesus Christ came came to purify us from sin. Jesus Christ came to purify us from sin, period. That's why he showed up. He didn't show up because he wanted to give us some advice. He didn't show up because he wanted to make a couple suggestions. He didn't show up and go through the entire process of human conception, birth, life, and death to do anything but make purification for sins. Why? Because there's no other way. And we live in a world that questions whether sin is a reality, whether there is any right, any wrong, except we all believe there's right and wrong because we sit around and argue about it all day And that's what you see most of humanity polarized about, arguing about is what's right and what's wrong. And people will argue whether there is such thing as objective right or wrong except for when it comes to their opinion. And so we'll argue all day about there's no objective truth, there's no right, there's no wrong, it's your truth, but let me do something to offend you all of a sudden there's a truth. It doesn't make sense. There has to be a right, a wrong, because it's embedded in us. And we'll sit around and we'll argue about stuff. And so one of the questions that came through was even about how to have discussions about religious issues, right, with people who don't believe the same things that you believe. And I think that is a great question to ask. How do you have discussions about spiritual things, about religious issues with people who don't believe the same thing that you believe? I would say the first thing is you have to know what you believe. And be firm in what you believe would be my advice, which is is do the work. Take the time. Understand what it is that you believe. And when you believe in Jesus... You believe the gospel, which is the good news. The good news that Christ came to purify us from sin so that we could have relationship with God. And if you truly have conversations with people through that lens, there really isn't a need for you to be aggressive or contentious because why am I gonna fight with you so you can have your sins forgiven? That doesn't make sense to me. I'm open to having discussions and I want people to understand the good news, but there's so much weight, there's so much validity behind what we're reading right here. You're talking about the the text that has stood the test of humanity and time. I mean, you're talking about the most verified text in all of human existence and the most popular one. For what reason? Because it's legit and verified over and over. And God does not just leave the verification process to the text itself, but he's alive, and he confirms, and he will move. And when you start engaging with his word, he starts engaging with you. But it's so important for us to understand the baseline of what he came to accomplish so that we don't get discouraged when he's doing what he said he came to do. Because sometimes we're wondering why God is not handling this. Why God is not doing this. Why God is not fixing this. And he did not come to change everything. He did not come to clean up every mess that you have. He came to make purification for sin. And that can sound discouraging. Like there's some distant relationship that he wants. No, not at all at the baseline of all of your actual issues. In this world, you'll have trouble. That's what he said. You cannot avoid the fact that some days are gonna be difficult, some circumstances are gonna be challenging, sometimes you're gonna go through very difficult things. But at the baseline, you know that the actual issue that you have is deviation from the will of God because the only thing perfect in all of life, in all of humanity, in all of creation is the will of God. The only thing perfect in all of existence is the will of God. So every problem that you have, the true problems that you have, come from deviation from his will. So that's what he came to fix. Christ came to make purification for our sins. And why he came to earth is of the utmost importance for us to understand how to engage with him. So even as we were talking last week about about running your race, you have to understand why Jesus came and what he's trying to accomplish in your life. Yes, he has purpose for you. Yes, he has plans for you. Can I tell you that he is a God who blesses? So you're not talking about a God who won't fix any of your stuff. God goes the extra mile to fix so much of my stuff. And he, in fact, does what, what Pastor Carl said, his, which is he works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for your good because he has to know, because he wants to, because he loves you. And he has blessed those who have placed their faith in Christ and are found in Christ. Bible tells us that those who are in Christ are blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. But what he's trying to accomplish today in your life has to do with your purification. I want us to go to the next passage. He says this in in chapter nine, verses 13 through 14. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer or a cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the good news. I just got excited reading that. You're telling me. That the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed, was shed so that I can even worship God. That you could want to worship God without Jesus and you can't. You can want relationship with God without Jesus and you cannot have it without Jesus. Without Jesus, I have zero access to God. Without Jesus, I have no God to worship because I have no God to connect with, because my relationship with Him has been severed by my sins that have to be paid for, atoned for. They have to be dealt with. I would encourage you guys if you did not hear the message from this past Sunday, you gotta hear it. Amazing. No, seriously, like make a note, set a reminder. To go watch that message if you have not heard it from this past Sunday, Pastor Johnson. Amazing, phenomenal. And you'll understand why I mentioned it when you go listen to it. But the truth is, we need purification made for our sins and and not just a modification of our behaviors, we need purification purification from our sins not just a modification of our behaviors and many times we view christianity through the lens of changing the way you behave changing the way you act so that you can have relationship with god and then we see discrepancies in the way that people who profess faith in christ behave and so it makes many people question faith in Christ because of how the people who profess faith in Christ behave. And then we have a whole group of people who are yelling at people who do not believe in Christ about how they behave. And Jesus never came to tell people who do not know him how to behave. Because what's the point? What's the point? Did he come for good behavior? No, he came for purification from sins. You cannot become purified from your sin. You cannot be purified from your sin by just trying to change the way you act. That's not how it works. So there was a system set in place in the Old Testament that took place for years and years and years and years. And not even for everybody. It was just for the Jews. And the Jews had a temple set up, a sanctuary set up, a process by which they could have their sins temporarily taken care of, but never fully cleansed. Just constantly trying to pay on the debt. Constantly trying to pay on the debt. So the high priest would go through this intense detailed process, making purification for his own sins with the blood of goats and calves and the sins of other people by the blood of goats and calves. And it had to be done repeatedly over and over and over and over and it never finished the job. And you and I, any of us who were not a part of that system, it did nothing for us. And so you're talking about all these other nations who were not connected to this nation or this process, and they had no hope. And so what the Bible is telling us here is that was just a picture. And it just kind of helped. It said the purification of their bodies, meaning that they could approach different situations and events and, and be ceremonially clean, meaning they could actually participate in this religious act because of these these rituals they had done. They could participate in religious acts because of rituals they had done, and it had nothing to do with actually fixing their relationship with God. So what he's saying is that all that was taking place, and if that could make somebody just clean enough to do a religious act, how much more will the blood of the Son of God accomplish? that God himself would put on flesh and there would be a a human sacrifice for human sin. And what does it say? It doesn't say that the blood of Christ would just change what you do. It said that it would purify our consciences. That the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus can purify your conscience the way you think. This is what he came to do. So at the beginning, where it says that the son of God, the universe was made through him, and then after making purification for sins, he sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. He didn't just come and make some suggestions for some things to do and change some religious rituals. He accomplished something much greater, that he could actually change the conscience of a human. And then inevitably your behavior will change because the way you think has been changed. What you believe is right has changed. What you believe is wrong has changed. Not because, just because you want it to. Not because you've just kind of ascribed to some way of believing or thinking that you're eventually going to default to your old way of thinking. No, he will actually change how you think. Purify our Consciences and by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sins. So, here's what's being said, and here's what I would write down if I were you Jesus has already cleansed us from sin by his blood, but he is daily cleansing us from the effects of sin by his spirit. I want you to hear this Jesus has already cleansed us from sin by his blood, but he is daily cleansing us from the effects of sin by his spirit. What do I mean by that? The blood of Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for all of human sin. So there is not going to be another sacrifice made for human sin. There is nothing you can pay to give God for the things that you've done you either receive what Jesus gave or you got nothing to give at all because God just doesn't accept anything. And so there were years and years and years and years and years and years years of sacrifices being made for sins that did not cut it. If you and I were not going to have to stand and be judged for our sins, something serious was going to have to take place. And so God himself chose to, spoke, chose to speak to humanity through his own son. And the son of God came to earth. The son of God came to earth and put on human flesh. Lived a sinless life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. You couldn't sacrifice yourself if you wanted to because you wouldn't be a good enough sacrifice. So if you, think, if you think you can work to get God's approval, you cannot because you've already messed up too much. And it doesn't matter how much you want to sacrifice, you can't pay the price for your sins because you're not a good enough sacrifice. So God himself came, the creator of it all. He could have just left us here to our own demise and just been like, whatever, and Let us think how we think and do what we do and operate how we operate, how so many of us already do, right? He could have just left us to that. But he's like, no, I'm going to actually pay the price for them. So he put on human flesh, and he went day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, dealing with humanity and never sinning. Going through all this stuff that you complain about and never sinning. Dealing with all the family issues that you deal with and never sinning. Dealing with mischaracterization, unfair treatment, low resources, low income, no notoriety, no status. Being challenged day after day after day, unappreciated, undervalued, going out of his way to serve the needs of humanity and still not being appreciated and never sinning. Being arrested on false charges and never sinning. Being spat on, having his beard ripped out of his pores and never sinning. Being beaten bloody and disfigured and never sinning. Hanging on a cross, suffocating to death, for six hours and never sinning and praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that I'm the one through whom the universe was made. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that I'm the radiance of the glory of God, the exact expression of God's nature, and I'm hanging on a cross because they're so sinful. They don't know what they're doing. You and I, we hear this message day in and day out, we don't appreciate it, we don't know what we're doing. We wake up, we choose violence, we don't know what we're doing. We choose sin, we don't know what we're doing. We reject God's word, we don't know what we're doing. We sin, we disrespect, we dishonor God, We don't know what we're doing. And he so loved the world that he made the sacrifice necessary for us to be forgiven. Because the things that we've done are not like an I'm sorry, my bad offense. It's not a, okay, I'm going to stand before the God of all creation and When all is said and done, I'm going to say, you know what, God? That was on me. Yeah. Yeah, I messed up. Yeah. But I was pretty good, though. I'm in heaven, right? Yeah, I repeatedly, day after day, doubted you, sinned against you, did not do the basic things I knew to do. But I'm good, right? No, not good. Not without The sinless life of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for your sinful life, for my sinful life. And so he has already cleansed us by his blood. This is why we can only be made right with God through faith in Jesus, because there's nothing you can do to make things right with God. You just have to believe what's been done and commit yourself to the one who's done it. This is why you're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So some of the questions were surrounding the idea of how do I get outside of this this mindset that I have to work to be good with God? How How do I get out of condemnation and guilt and shame? Because Jesus has already cleansed you from sin and already made you Righteous. So why do I mess up? Because you still have not been fully cleansed from the effects of sin. So your spirit has been cleansed in the eyes of God. He says that he gives you the righteousness of Jesus. That means when God sees you, he sees his son. You're covered. Does that mean you show up and just do whatever, and act ungodly, and do whatever you want in life? No, that's not consistent with what he's accomplishing. That's not consistent with purification from sins, but so then why am I not perfect that, that at the moment I profess faith in Christ? Because you've spent a long time sinning, and everybody around you has spent a long time sinning. And you were raised by people who sin and they were raised by people who sin and sin has been passed down and sin has been tossed to you and sin has come from horizontal, from all types of places, the culture that you're in. And so, so much of the way that you think, the way that you behave, the way that you process is the effect of sin. So that doesn't change immediately. Though your spirit is renewed, Immediately, and you are born again in Christ. This is what he says. You cannot come to him unless you are born again. That means he literally makes you new in your spirit. Then over time, he cleanses your conscience. He changes the way that you think. So you are already cleansed from sin. This is why you can approach God's throne of grace and mercy. This is why no matter what you did, no matter how you've been behaving, you can pray. Just think about it. What would be the threshold? Other than the blood of Jesus Christ, what would be the threshold? What would be the turning point of when you can approach God and when you can't? Like what would be good enough for you to approach God? Would it be, okay, I read my Bible today, I prayed today, I didn't sin nearly as much as I did yesterday. I can pray, right? Is it, oh wow, I sinned as soon as I woke up this morning. I sinned last night. I've been constantly messing up. Does this mean I cannot approach God? Okay, if I can't approach God because I've been sinning, then what is going to make things right with God? Is, it, is there a scripture about if you read your Bible, you can approach the throne of grace? Is there a scripture about you, saying some nice things to some people. Maybe if you pray five days in a row, you can approach the throne of grace. No, it's only Jesus. So it's only Jesus when you're good and it's only Jesus when you're bad. It's only Jesus when you feel like you're doing well and it's only Jesus when you feel like you're doing terrible because you can't even gauge how you're really doing based on how you feel you're doing. Even when you think you're doing good, you think you're more godly than you are. So it's only Jesus. So you profess faith in Christ and you receive the sacrifice that he's made permanently for your sin and you have access to God. And then on a daily basis, he is going to cleanse you from the effects of sin. And so you've been forgiven for the fact that you've been lusting for a long time, but you're going to have to get cleansed from the reasons that you lust. You've been forgiven for the fact that you've been greedy for a long time, but you have to get cleansed from the reasons that you're greedy. You following? So you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Your sins have been forgiven when you receive the sacrifice of Jesus. It's done. You're righteous. You're good with God. You can approach him as a son, as a daughter, as a child. Whether you've done a great job today or whether you haven't done a great job today, it is the son of God who has made intercession for you. And so every time you get discouraged, feeling like you've been too bad to approach God, remember that Jesus has gone before you and opened the door saying, you're you're still good. You're still good. What I did was good enough. So you're walking through a door that Jesus opened that you could have never opened for yourself anyway. And so you walk into the grace of God and you walk by the grace of God. This is why nobody can boast. He says he's done this so that nobody can boast, so that nobody can sit around and say, oh, I've been so amazing to God that he saved me. No, it is Jesus, Jesus Jesus, Jesus. This is why he's been given the name that is above every name. This is why every, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because he's the one who sustains all things by his word anyway. You don't think there's going to come a time where he just makes everything right? You don't think there's going to come a time where all things come back into willing submission to him? You think he's going to let creation go on forever in rebellion to him, that doesn't make sense. But instead of cutting off creation from his presence, he's chosen to step in and create a bridge that you have a choice whether you walk across. But that's how you know whether you're good with God or whether you're not good with God. Whether you need to follow the Old Testament or not. We had a question about should we follow the law of Leviticus. Is the law of Leviticus going to do what Jesus did in your life? Is it going to meet the sacrifice that's necessary? Is it going to make purification for sins? Uh, no, because the law of Leviticus was already here when Jesus came. And he came to make purification for sins. And so if the law of Leviticus could make purification for sins, then he would have left us with that. But he came to make purification For sins. And there are no rituals that you can do. There are no garments that you can wear. There are no things that you can recite that are going to make purification for your sins. It was the Son of God hanging on a cross, bloody and bruised, that made purification for your sins. And down in verses 24 through 26, it says this For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, which was only a model of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself so so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Did you catch that? Christ did not walk through a human temple. Christ did not walk through anything that was fashioned or made by human hands. Jesus Christ walked into heaven itself to stand in God's presence on behalf of us after making purification for our sins, and he's never gonna do it again. It's done. It was sufficient. Jesus Christ's sacrifice is all sufficient for all time. Do you notice how it says that he appeared one time at the end of the ages? Meaning, everything has been leading up to this, and everything post the cross and resurrection is now just waiting for him. We're already at the end of the ages. Before Christ came, when people were waiting and reading the scriptures and looking for all these prophecies that were saying that a savior was coming searching intently through the scriptures, trying to figure out when is this gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? That was happening for hundreds of years, thousands of years. People were scouring the scriptures, trying to figure out when God was gonna do this amazing thing. And you ever heard about the the three wise men that that we see at Christmas all the time? These were pagan men, not Jews, not under the old covenant, People who were just studying the Jewish scriptures looking for this amazing phenomenon to take place. And when it took place, they recognized that it had taken place. And so they go and they visited Jesus as a baby because they understood that he was the fulfillment of these prophecies that had been taking place for hundreds of years. And that was 2,000 years ago. So Jesus has already accomplished God's plan for humanity. It's done. Now we're living on borrowed time. Now there's just more time for more people to say yes to Christ. That's why we're still here. Because there's nothing else for God to do on our behalf. It's already been done. And so if we're so distracted by these small circumstances in our life we will never truly walk in purpose because we will not understand why we're here to begin with <clears throat> and so some of us we think that our purpose is just a talent can i tell you, god didn't come just to give out talents for people to perform and entertain each other all day like that's a part of humanity and it's a gift that he's given to us and praise god that we have it but that's not the purpose of your existence God created humans in his image to reflect him and to know him. And he created us to have relationship with him. The problem is many of us don't. So he made a way so that we will. That's the story. Your purpose is a part of that. And now you have the opportunity to use giftings and use talents and use abilities and use all kinds of things in the midst of that plan and for the purposes of that plan. But if you're trying to find identity outside of this, you're not gonna find it, and it's why you haven't found it. If you're trying to find purpose outside of this, you're not gonna find it, because what's the best you can do for somebody? This is why so many of us are lost in trying to find purpose. What are you even trying to do for people? Or for yourself? Some of us, our purpose is just about us. What are you even trying to do for you? What is the best you can accomplish? Some people to clap, say good job, give you a title, give you some money, and then what? Is that the reason that humans exist and can walk around and have brains and think and speak and create things and have fingerprints and feet? There's got to be a bigger reason. Why can we think? Why do we have dreams? Deja vu there's something bigger happening more than just, okay, I got to find my purpose. You've found it, God. You're being presented with it, God. And everything else is a part of that. And even your giftings and your talents and your abilities, they are a part of God's plan for all of eternity. His plan doesn't end when you take your last breath. His plan is for all of eternity. He is an eternal God. And so everything that you have, know, and do is connected to his eternal plan that began at the beginning of time when God the Father created all of creation and all of the universe, an unsearchable universe through his son. If you just look at the expanse of the universe, imagine how much bigger and more grand and more glorious our God is who created it. The fact that there are billions of galaxies and there's a God who created them, who calls you son and calls you daughter. What more are you looking for? What more can he answer? What more do you want? So Jesus Christ came to make purification for sins. We've already been cleansed by his blood, but we're being daily cleansed by his spirit from the effects of sin. And then, what was the last point? You can simultaneously live in righteousness while maturing in holiness. So you can live in righteousness while you are maturing in holiness. He's not going to make another sacrifice for sins. The the sacrifice he made is already sufficient. It's already enough. He's never gonna make another one. And he's already appeared and he's already removed sin. He said that he appeared for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's already done. And when you profess faith in Christ, you can live in righteousness while pursuing and maturing in holiness. You can know that you're already forgiven and you're being made new and made righteous and made cleaner and made better and made more like him on a daily basis as you walk in step with him. And as you catch the wind of the spirit, many times he's leading you on paths of righteousness for his own name's sake, he's leading you the way that you need to go to mature in holiness and to be more and more and more like him. And if you just try to hit the gas and go yourself, you're going to miss that. So I want to close here. And I think I'll leave room to answer just a couple more questions afterwards. But I want to close here. And I want to I wanna pray for us briefly because I believe that God is speaking to many of us tonight. So if you'll just join me in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you so much that you've already made purification for sins. It's already done. So Lord, I thank you that you've even assigned us to read this tonight, to know this tonight. And Lord, I pray that this creates results in our lives. Lord, that knowledge of your glory, of who you are, of your nature, of your mission, of your passionate zeal for us, Lord, would align our hearts with yours. But I pray for those of us who've been worried Lord, I pray that as we look to what you've already done, we'll have faith stirred in us for what you're doing next. And Lord, I just pray for peace over your people. Lord, I pray for firm foundations for your people. Lord, I pray that we would make firm decisions to stay rooted and grounded in you. Lord, that we would understand and embrace that we've been made righteous and made holy by you. Lord, and that we would walk with you through the process of being more and more holy and more and more like you. Lord, I pray that, that every person who's been feeling condemned and discouraged, Lord, I, I've, I pray that you would remove that false thinking from their minds. Lord, and that you would help each and every one of us to think properly about how you think about us. And Lord, I pray for a transformation in the way that we live because there's been a transformation in the way that we think. Lord, I pray that as we continue to go through your word, and digest the things that you're saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would be equipping us to even share the gospel with people people around us. God, I pray that you would just be firming up our understanding in this time, that you would be strengthening our foundations, strengthening our roots, Lord, so that we can be more and more fruitful. And Lord, I pray for 60, 30, 100-fold exponential results and fruit and multiplication from the information that you're giving us, the revelation that you're giving us. God, I pray for souls to be saved, for people to come to a knowledge of the truth. It is your desire that all men would come to a knowledge of the truth, Lord, and would know you. And so, Lord, I pray that each and every person listening, Lord, in this room, online, Lord, I pray for them to have a stirring in their spirit, God, to be able to reach people with the good news, and I pray that they would be confident and at peace when doing so. And last, Lord, I pray for every single person, Lord, who has not been walking with you. Lord, I pray that you would show them how you are welcoming them to yourself, that you have made purification for sins, and you're inviting and extending the offer to those who have not accepted it yet. And so if you're in this room and you're wanting to make a decision to follow Christ, I just want you to lift your hand so that I could pray with you. See hands going up. I see your hands. It's beautiful. And the hand isn't for me, It's, it's, it's you making a firm decision in your own life. It's you saying yes before God. For every person with your hand up, I want you to know that God sees you right now. That as you're acknowledging him, he's acknowledging you. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me and I want you to come into agreement with what's being said. It's not just about repeating words, it's about professing faith in Christ and coming into agreement with what I'm praying. So I just invite you to pray this with me and I wanna invite everyone around the room who already believes to pray this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you lived a human life, that you committed no sins and that you died on a cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and I believe that you're alive right now. I receive your payment. I receive your forgiveness. I repent and turn from my sins. I leave them behind me and I turn completely to you. I establish you as Lord of my life. I acknowledge that you are all powerful and in control. And I accept your invitation into your family to be your child. And I will live with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.